Welcome to the Springs in the Desert podcast. We're so happy that you're here with us. We're those friends that you can take with you wherever you are on the path of infertility. Welcome to Springs in the Desert, a man's take. My name is James Kleinick. We're excited to have you here for this podcast. I'm here today with my good friend, Father Paolo Puccini of the Paulist Fathers. Good morning. Yeah, it's good to catch up with you. Uh, we've been friends for over 15 years now, so uh, yeah, really excited to uh, continue our spiritual talks, which go way, way back. <laughs> yeah, we used to spend a lot of time. So Paulo and I, Father Paulo and I met back when we were at UT. Uh, yeah, you were. we were just talking about that. It was the first day that I think both of us were on campus. Uh, we got to talk and realized we we're both Catholic and started going to going to mass together at the UCC. That's right. Yeah. And then between engineering studies and uh, all the other adventures of college, it's uh, that was in my uh, before I uh, was on my way to become a priest back when my engineering phase. Uh, we've certainly talked plenty about engineering as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been such a wonderful thing to be able to continue growing. I mean, anytime you have a best friend, it's wonderful to have these things because you get to see each other through life stages. Uh, Father Paul was the best best man at my wedding. Um then I got to be around for both your diaconate and your priestly ordinations. And it's just been wonderful having, having close friends uh, and being a part of those major life moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but we're here today to be able to talk a little bit more. Uh, you know, one of the things I think is beautiful about uh, dealing with dealing with infertility in the way that that especially me and my wife, Allie, are, are interacting with it is that you get this opportunity, these windows to be able to see other people where they are um, and and really kind of step into a moment where you can see that God is working in our lives through our vocations in ways that maybe are kind of unexpected, uh, but give a beautiful window into something broader beyond my individual experience and my individual uh, marriage. And there's so many different ways that we, that we can connect with people that are on different life journeys. So uh, I'm excited to be able to have this conversation with you. Father Paulo. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And you've been married longer than I've been a priest. So uh, <laughs> it's been a back and forth. You know, I, I was uh, in the seminary uh, on my way to, uh, you know, discerning my uh, my call to priesthood before you had uh, met your wife. Well, would you like to talk um, a little bit about your vocational calling and, and how you became a priest with the Paulist Fathers? Yeah, sure. So I um, I'm originally from Houston, Texas, uh, as uh, as you know, we met at the University of Texas. Uh, you're from the Dallas area. I'm from the Houston area, and Dallas is better. Yeah, perhaps. But, uh, <laughs> Very gracious of you, Paula. <laughs> I mean, my my, my brother and uh, my uh, his wife and my little nephew live up in Dallas, so a big part of my heart is up in Dallas now. Yeah, um, for our for our listeners across the country here, uh, there, there's there's something of a soft rivalry between Dallas and Houston. Uh, and, and, and Paulo on any other day would be quick to tell you all the reasons why Houston is much better than Dallas, but uh, for another conversation. Oh, yes. No, I'm very proud of Houston. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I studied engineering. I uh, went back and worked in Houston for, uh, for over three years in uh, the oil and gas industry. So um, I had a really good job, uh, very interesting work, uh, really good friends, and uh, went up to Dallas a fair bit, too. We kept up, uh, kept up our friendship back when I was a young professional. Um, but to be honest, you know, church had always been uh, one of the biggest sources of joy in my life. And so often when you think about um, discernment, it's the question of, you know, what are the gifts? What are the talents? What are the those spaces in life that, uh, that God gives you great joy? And uh, how is it that God might be inviting you to cultivate that in service uh, for other people? 
So um, I liked what I was doing as an engineer, but uh, for me, my uh, my biggest joy was the friends that I made through church, especially at university. Uh, I made really close friends such as uh, James and um, and uh, many other folks that I had kept in touch with, and it was those deeper those those deeper conversations, kind of the deeper questions in life. You know, why are we here? What does God want of us? Um, that that really fascinated me, and um, so with that, I felt a call to uh, discern a vocation to the priesthood. So I moved to Washington, D.C. I, I joined the Paulist Fathers because I met them at uh, when I was at university at the University of Texas. They do campus ministry in the, in the area. And I was very interested in the way that they live in community. That was a very important uh, dimension for me was to be a priest. I wanted to have a community to share dinner with uh, at the end of the day and to uh, bounce ideas off of and um, and also just the fact that the Paulists uh, like to be in dialogue with American culture. Um, you know, I, as I said, I had a great job. It's not that there was anything wrong with my life, anything I was escaping. Um, there's the, I see it as a great privilege to, you know, live in this country at this point in time. And, um, but at the same time, I know that, uh, that, that there's something deeper that God is calling us all to. So, uh, the Paulist fathers, as we try to dialogue with culture, lift up what is good, try to invite people to grow in, in ways that God is calling them to grow and uh, have that more comprehensive vision of God's kingdom that, that God is inviting us to. Um, that's a big uh, reason why I felt called to join the Paulist Father community. So uh, I lived in D.C. for many years um, I, when I was studying at Catholic U. Um, just so happened that James here uh, started dating uh, his future wife who was in the D.C. area. So even though I was up in Washington, I saw him a fair bit up there. Um, so it yeah, made for a lot of really fun trips. I'll say that much. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I was involved with, uh, with Ali's, um, church and, and young adult ministry as a seminarian. Um, and then you guys got married before I became a priest and then I became a priest. So, uh, it just so happened I was assigned back to Texas, which has been great. And you moved from Dallas to Austin. So our paths crossed yet again. Yeah. So, uh, Father Paulo is now at St. Austin's down here in, in Austin, Texas, uh, which is just a huge trip for us because it's right across the street from the university of Texas, their, their main campus. So on occasion I, I would go to mass at St. Uh, St. Austin's and Paula would as well. And so we're kind of in this situation now where uh, our paths are crossing in a, in a way that feels a little bit like deja vu, mm-hmm. but uh, what, a, what a wonderful blessing. It's great having you, Paulo. Uh, thanks for making some time this morning. Uh, you know, I was listening to you talk about your call to become a priest and what that discernment process sounded like. And what I think is really beautiful is how relatable just even from the, the, the way that I am attempting to express my vocation. Um, there's some parallels that I'm able to draw. Um, I can hear the call for community, like the desire to try to be out among other people. Um, and it seems like, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about dealing with infertility, experiencing it, uh, again, uh, the way that my wife and I experience it, it's very unlikely that we're going to have children. Um, so it's really fascinating to be able to see some of these, you know, that, that dimension of reaching out to a broader community certainly doesn't stop even within uh, a marital vocation with um, the, the great unlikelihood of having children. Um, so there seems it's, it's interesting to me that we kind of are able to you and I both feel this call to a community. You both and I feel a call to reach out to other people seems like there's something there that's kind of 
it's just uplifting. It's hopeful. There's something broader about humanity that, that certainly reaches out to those, to those places. Yeah. And I can say being a priest, uh, I, I know tons and tons of people. Um, and the parish I'm at, the people are very uh, generous and welcoming. Um, and even though I, I live in community and, uh, we share meals together, I could easily get uh, dinner invitations to fill up uh, four or five nights out of the week. Um, and I, I quite consciously uh, have to uh, limit those and say, you know, I'm, I, I need to be present to the community. I need to uh, um, be present to, to the brother priest that I live with. Um, but there's this certain sense of overflowing abundance with, uh, with the, the community that I belong to. Um, the warmth of so many families, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds of families. So even just, uh, even if it's just a few dozen that, uh, that are willing to invite their priest over for dinner, you know, that could easily fill up, uh, fill up a calendar. So I can imagine. (laughs) Um, And for me, it's, you know, I, I, I love being a priest uh, in part because I love, uh, I love preaching and I love the mass, but um, also I am equally uh, uplifted by uh, the presence of God and others. And, um, being able to live that dynamic between, uh, you know, the Eucharist, which draws us together in, in worship of Christ. And uh, as we go back to our um, to our roots uh, through the scriptures, go back to the, the tradition that we've inherited, um, but also to see how that is lived out in the lives of, uh, of so many parishioners. And uh, it's a diverse group and everyone has a different story. Everyone has different struggles. Everyone has different joys. And um yeah, so for me, it's it's been a life of great abundance, uh, balancing those those uh, two dimensions. Well, one of the things that I also think is really interesting, uh, you know, there's aside from the fact that there are these ways that we can reach out to community together that we both can kind of see on some level or another. Um, obviously, coming from different places, I don't mean by any of these any of this discussion to equate uh, a a lay vocation with a with a priestly vocation, because clearly there are there are different things that happen there that extend beyond. Um, the surface on in, in, in multiple planes, but there is a biological sort of reality uh, with respect to, like for example, my wife and I encountering infertility, uh, not being able to have biological children. That also rings true with the priesthood. You kind of select on the front end not to have, uh, not to not to have children uh, potentially. Anyway, um, there are some slight ex- exceptions where you have some some different orders where there are married priests and and they can have they can have children, but that wasn't one that you joined into, Paulo. Uh, so I'm kind of interested, like, what has been your experience with, uh, or or how has the contemplation of uh, choosing not to have biological children? How has that tied in with your vocational calling or in kind of your world outlook in general? When I think about uh, when I think about the calling, you know, first it was. For me, it's it's primarily a calling to uh, to ministry. It's a calling to to the mission of the Paulists. You know, we we say that we live in community for the sake of mission. Um, we believe that our community life strengthens us uh, to be better priests, uh, strengthens us, um, you know, to support one another, to to correct one another when needed, uh, to build up one another. Um, and you know, I didn't choose the priesthood because I couldn't uh, be because it was a conscious decision that I didn't want kids. That was just one of the kind of one of the things that it comes with. Yeah. And uh, you know, the church, uh, the church in her wisdom uh, lifts up uh, this celibate vocation for, um, you know, certain benefits um, some of which are practical, you know, having more, more freedom for mission. And also there's that strong theological component of, uh, of 
what life will be like in heaven where it's not so much about biological family, but about uh, yeah. belonging and loving and caring for each other. And there's a way that, uh, that uh, we celebrate um, uh, clergy members, but also uh, religious sisters and brothers are called to, to model and envision. And it's that sense that, uh, you know, we're all one family. It's not, it's not a question of, uh, of how uh, special or blessed any particular family is, but how do we uh, share our gifts in communion uh, with one another? Uh, and one of the ways that uh, that our parishioners do that, at least I find, is um, you know through sharing meals. Mm. Um, and many times they'll they'll invite me to dinner, but they'll also invite other friends. I kind of look at it as uh, actually. I'm just thinking of something when I when I uh, when I left Houston uh, to go move to Washington D.C. to start seminary. I had a I had a big going away party at my parents' house, and I invited all my uh, contemporaries. We would have been about 25, 26 at the time. Um, to come to that party, uh, co-workers, uh, friends from university, friends from church. And it happened at uh, that going away party that um, one of my friends from university met a friend from church. Uh, they didn't know each other before, and now they're married. Yeah. <laughs> um, <and laughs> That's when, awesome. When, when I went back to, uh, to say Mass, and, uh, and of course the, the pastor is you know, celebrating, uh, he was going on and on about how, how blessed the church is, that I'm a priest now, and how wonderful it is uh, you know, to have more priests. And, but I kind of said, um, you know, also at that mass was, uh, was this couple that had married and they brought their daughter. Um, and, you know, there's a sense that, you know, my joy and my vocation is not just for me, but it's about gathering uh, the community together. And, um, you know, it's not that I'm any better than, I think that it's, it's the way that God kind of calls us to, to live in community. Some people live that out through marriage, you know, some people live that out, um, uh, through marriage, but also through uh, raising children. But um, even, you know, in my own situation, um, you know, my joy is the joy of others too. Yeah. I think that there's absolutely something relatable there uh, from the standpoint of Allie and me and how we're approaching life. It, we're being being in a place where, um, you know, it's interesting. You think about marriage and clearly one of the primary ends of marriage is children. It's It's not the only end. Like there's a unity of that aspect of that that um, calls us to closer communion with one another. And it's, and it's out of that unitive aspect that you, that you arrive at children. Um, It's, it's either way, no matter the vocational calling, there certainly seems to be a really strong rootedness. There's a really strong, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's, there's this, there's this calling outside of yourself, right? Vocation is a calling. There's an acceptance of that calling. And there's something of an adventure to it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in, in embarking upon that adventure, you really don't know. You really don't know what God's going to put in your path. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems it seems one of the one of the, perhaps the blessings of um, a prolonged season of infertility is that you you come face to face with this reality that you don't know where God is taking you. Uh, you don't know um, what what the future of your earthly life. Uh, is going to hold in the same way that you might feel like you have some security if you have children, um, mm-hmm. someone to look in on you as you get older. Um, but but being being able to be open uh, within our marriage in a way that we can reach out to other people um, to kind of see them, invite them over for dinner, invite you over for dinner, Paula. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's nice to have that freedom, and there really is something that I can be thankful for, in spite of uh, the obvious kind of hurt that comes along with the woundedness that we carry with, with respect to dealing with infertility. Um, 
anyway, I, I was, I was kind of noticing that as a, is a really beautiful parallel between the two of us. Um, yeah. As a, you know, as a priest, I've been celebrating more and more weddings now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, many of which were uh, delayed or postponed because of COVID. Yeah. And, um, it's an interesting tension, you know, because on the one hand, uh, a marriage is that, uh, decision between the couple to, to give, um, to give themselves to each other. Um, and you know, the church says to make a marriage valid, it's, it's the couple that, that performs the sacraments, the couple that, that celebrates the sacrament. It's not the work of the priest, but, um, all you need are, uh, of couple witnesses. Um, and you know, the priest as a, as a representative of the church, not to affect the sacrament, but to just be a witness on behalf of the church of that commitment you're making to each other. So, mm-hmm. uh, that vision of marriage, um, you know, can kind of seem like it's just about the couple. And, and of course, the couple is fundamental and that's the essential nature of it. But at the same time, I've seen many couples, you know, delay their celebration because there is something uh, for all the flaws and excesses of, uh, you know, the money people spend on weddings. Uh, it's that moment where their love is uh, overflowing with uh, with the joy of the community yeah, and the joy that uh, two families who may not know each other um, can come to uh, come to share the joy of the couple, come to celebrate that. Um, and, you know, I think that there's something profoundly theological, too, about the way a, a marriage feast uh, uh, represents that overflowing joy. And, um, you know, that's at the start of a marriage where you're you're not sure, you don't know if uh, if there's going to be children that, that come from it or, um, or if it's just going to be, uh, be the couple. But, you know, even in the midst of that, it's still a great, a great cause for joy. And, I hope that, uh, you know, we can hold on to that, um, that vision of family and friends coming together, you know, to celebrate love. It doesn't just have to be the marriage day, but it's, there's that, that significance. And uh, theologically speaking, we look at uh, the kingdom of God. We look at, uh, we look at heaven uh, described in terms of the great marriage feast, you know, sure. the marriage of uh, Christ and his people, Christ and the church. Um, and that, overflowing joy and celebration that that is uh, in a sense prefigured at a uh, at, uh, wedding banquets so um yeah if, if if more people could kind of hold on to that and say it's not just about that one day where you spent a lot of money but um how are those friendships that you had able to to continue and extend onward uh as the as the couple celebrates their life what's jumping out to me right now is that Wedding at the wedding, you know, there's clearly you bring together this community, all these people, there's a lot of potential, uh, you know, there's, there's this anticipation for what this marriage is going to look like. Um, but you know, it's kind of interesting as you're talking about it, I was going back to thinking about Allie and my wedding and, you know, even in spite of, um, a situation where it doesn't look like we're going to have children and our marriage isn't going to look like what we originally thought it was going to look like. It doesn't undo, um, the meaning of that moment when Allie and I committed ourselves to one another and formed that covenant with one another before God and, and with you, of course, you were there too. Um, but as, as I'm thinking about that, it's, it's really, it's kind of striking me deeply that, you know, the joy that we, that we mirror in that moment really ought to be a part of our marriage throughout the life of the marriage, regardless of the, the circumstances that come about after, after we start walking this life together. Um, that, that's certainly, certainly the abundance of that oughtn't to change. And I remember actually for us, like our idea was that hospitality, we really wanted that to be a big part of our marriage. Um, and that certainly can be affected without children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, when I think back to my own ordination, um, 
you know, it, it was a day that I had been looking forward to for a while. It was somewhat muted because it was uh, July of 2020, you know, in the middle of COVID. But um, but there's a sense where those days can be a little bit overwhelming and you're kind of happy that they're over. You know, you're happy that uh, <laughs> sure. you made it through without any huge faux pas or without any huge uh, crises. Um, so it, it's a great joy for many people, but uh, for others that may be a little bit more reserved, it can also be a burden. But um, but that doesn't mean that uh, I haven't been able to live out that joy in um, more and more of these moments that are, um, you know, these more intimate gatherings with people, not necessarily just the big uh, the big crowd. Yeah, it also kind of strikes me that those things take work. You know, it's uh, you know, you got to carve out time in your schedule. You gotta, you gotta basically take some of the things. You know, one of the big, one of the big uh, temptations probably that accompany an infertility uh, season, a diagnosis of something that that kind of keeps you from having biological children, is the ability. Like, there's a there's a strong possibility of being able to turn more inward, even within your marriage. You can focus more on your job. You can focus more on. Um, the things that I want to do, the vacations, the eating out, the whatever, you know? Um, yeah, I think it's, it's much easier to turn those things into being about stuff as opposed to seeing or, or making the active choice to continue to conform your life to the ways that God is trying to bring about, uh, you know, through that joy that we were talking about with our marriage or with, as you were kind of mentioning your, your, um, uh, when you became a priest, your ordination. There we go. There's mm-hmm. the word. Um, you know, it, there, there certainly is this, there is something of attention there also where, you know, after you were diagnosed in my instance, anyway, with a condition that doesn't seem to lead to children, you're still having to make a choice to go back to the, the origins of where that marriage started from and to live out the expression of that joyce uh, that, that joy in a way that brings about, uh, really, sharing Christ with more people and, and growing the kingdom of heaven. And that doesn't necessarily need to, to result or, or be because of children that come into the world. Um, and, and while there's a great amount of joy that comes along with that, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, happy memories and happy moments that I've had with my family and with other friends. Um, it does take some work. Like you kind of got to get out of your own way quite a bit in order to make that stuff happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, um, and life is not a linear process and it's not like it's just, uh, you know, you've, you've dealt with it, you've moved on, yeah. it's all fixed. Um, you know, I guess going back to your earlier question about, um, my decision to uh, become a priest and what that meant as far as my, um, discernment of not having children, as I said, you know, that really wasn't on my radar back then. Yeah. And I remember talking, uh, when I was in seminary with the spiritual director and he said, you know, when you're young, um, the big thing is uh, for for a lot of men is uh, kind of grieving the fact that uh, they can't have a romantic partner, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I look at my friends uh, dating and becoming engaged. And um, so, you know, that's one aspect of my life where I didn't have that um, that exclusive, um, intimate, romantic, um, romantic love that others, you know, of my generation were experiencing. He said later on, later on, it's going to come that you're going to grieve that you're not having, uh, you're not having children. Yeah. And, um, and now I'm, I'm kind of seeing that as I appreciate, you know, watching, uh, my brother, uh, who just became a, a father. So I just became an uncle and, um, and seeing my other friends have children, you know, that, that raises, uh, raises thoughts in my, in my mind that, you know, I just had never thought about, uh, before. Um, 
it's not to say that, uh, that I'm not, um, happy with my choice. Um, cause I certainly am, but it's still something to, to process in grief, just recognizing that, you know, we can't have it all, uh, this side of heaven. Yeah. No kidding. And, uh, and then my spiritual director said, you know, the day will come too later on when you're going to grieve that you don't have grandchildren. Yeah. Uh, so just because you think you figured it out that, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm foregoing a, a romantic, um, romantic partner to, to become a priest, that doesn't mean that that you've already done all the all the work and all the processing because it's just going to come at different moments and different phases in life. So it does seem like it kind of accelerates some of those grieving processes. Like you know, it's kind of interesting. I've heard talking with some other um, some other fathers and and you know other married people that have older children. There always seems to be this constant theme in life of letting go. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Creating space for the children to be their own people. And yeah, yeah. what that dynamic uh, is like. Absolutely. Allie joined a book club not that long ago with uh, our new parish. And one of the things that she was taking away from this, it's, it's a funny situation because Allie, Allie spends a lot of time doing volunteering. This is like one of the, the, the fruits of our marriage and the way that it is that we don't have children. So she's able to kind of plug in more with the parish and she's been doing this. Um, so she goes to this like 10 o'clock book club on I think Thursdays and she's probably the, the youngest person there by like a factor of, I don't know, like maybe a factor of two, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So she's interacting with a lot of grandmothers and it's really interesting um, as you know, some of the takeaways that she's had from some of those conversations have been the amount of care and the amount of concern that these grandmothers have for their, for their grandchildren and, and really in order, and even their children, like some of them have had lots of children, none of which have stayed Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of whom I should say, but anyway, there's, there's a death there on some level. There's like a, there's a, a carving away of yourself, a, a requirement of you to distance yourself from something that you're wanting to attach yourself to like this ideal, mm-hmm. uh, that I find to be very relatable. Uh, it's almost as though in our situation, it's like, we're already having to give up our children, our grandchildren years and years ahead of where these other individuals find themselves in the moment um, having to do that. So it's just, um, I don't, that came to mind as you were talking about uh, this grieving process and how it's, how it's secular, uh, uh, cyclical, I should say. And, and the same thing. Yeah, definitely relate to that on a lot of levels. Um, but it's hopeful, I think, um, because it does kind of seem like as you look around and you see different people who are encountering these moments of, loss, these moments of detachment, it seems to kind of point to, I think, some sort of a greater, like a greater, more transcendent truth. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Paschal mystery that's at the heart right. of our faith. And that's the, you know, that, that fundamental nature that, you know, God can transform sorrow and grief into something good. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, as you say, we, we never give up hope. Right. Yeah. Cause it's through death that resurrection occurs. Yeah. And what a, what a, what a great thing to be able to, to rely on. What a beautiful thing to hope in. Absolutely. Well, Paulo, it's been wonderful uh, spending some time visiting with you this morning. Uh, thanks for carving out some time. I think this seems like a good place to stop. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate sharing, uh, sharing a little bit of my journey with you. Thank you for being a part of the journey. <laughs> uh, so for James and Paulo, Springs in the Desert, a man's take. We'll see y'all later. Thank you so much for joining us for this Springs in the Desert podcast episode. If you have a minute, please rate and review us so that we can reach more listeners. 
Check out our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram. And go to our website, springsinthedesert.org, where you can sign up for our newsletter and hear about more things that we have going on. Most importantly, remember that God loves you so much, and so do we. 